0: You're listening to the ShipBob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, ecom veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode eight. Can't believe it's already episode eight of our operator series, moving forward with your business. i um, very excited with the guests that we have on today. I'll jump right into who they are. And then I have some questions from you all. And then as Nick teased, and as I just found out, like three minutes before we kick this off, we've got some prizes, some of which are TBD. Hello, Victor. Thanks for chiming in over here. I don't know what direction I am on, but chats, questions, please post, throw them in here. This is for you all. So we want to hear from you. So first we have uh, Gerard Ecker. He's the founder and CEO of Ocean & Co. They sell jewelry like sea turtle bracelets and and other ocean-related clothing. Every purchase goes to help support their mission, which is to rid the ocean of plastic. And this is a Initiative that I love, somebody who's grown up right next to the beach and has always lived close to the beach and tries to spend as much time there as possible, even though right now it's closed out in California. Love seeing missions like this. Uh, and then also he is the co-founder of Method Marketing. And then we also have another serial entrepreneur with Ryan Schraft, who is who founded Koala Tree and Pyjamas. Koala Tree sells eco-minded outdoor apparel. Pajamas sells absorbent, reusable potty training pants. As we were chatting about before this, I have three kids under six. And so I'm going to be spending some money on pajamas right after we hang up. I'll send you a pair. For me or for my kids? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Ryan also is uh, co-founded IFS 360, which was acquired by Rakatan. So he knows the shipping and fulfillment space extremely well. So as we have done the last few weeks, as I mentioned, I'm in California. I'm actually in Orange County, California, in between San Diego and California. We'd love to see in the comments section. Uh, let's, let's see where everybody's coming in from. And Ryan right. and Gerard, you guys can chime in or drop where you're coming in from as well. There we go. Pat, in Newport Beach, right by me. Oh, wonderful. Whoa, and then also, cool. as
1: Casey teased, uh, too, and he just kind of found out, like I said, before we just kicked off, I told him we are giving away two prizes kind of things. Whoever asked the, the most questions for today, uh, the prize is still TBD. We'll take recommendations in the chat. And then who also comes up on stage and actually asked a video question, we'll give you guys something even better. As I teased kind of in the email, we still haven't decided, but that's, uh, we can have some suggestions here in the chat box too. And then, you know, maybe Ryan and Dray uh, also have some some ideas as well, but looks like we have got a lot of uh, a lot of people in here, so it's great.
0: So here, I, I like to introduce new random things on the spur of the moment to get to get next stress really high. So we'll play some music for a second while well, I want to see from everybody. Everybody's throwing in where they're coming in from, which I love. Well, for one of the giveaways, we'll let's we'll pick a D to C brand. Everybody, please throw in your favorite direct to consumer brand. I see a bunch of people in Chicago in here, and with MJ Doc. I'm going to try to play this from Instagram. We'll see if this works. And again, we'll get this music will support get you pumped up to throw in your favorite DTC brand. So come on, throw them in there. Let's see if this will work. Found a piano. <laughs> All right, as a huge basketball nerd who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I could geek out to the Bulls' interest song all day long. So, looks like we've got some some good suggestions in here. And to start things off, Gerard, I want to start with you and I think what, you know, something that you've experienced which is really timely is you know you're a ship customer for a while i know that you went elsewhere we've covered this um, on our website and then you came back so what we do in these series we never really get this is not about ship this is not to showcase anything that went wrong with let's say competitors of ours or other solutions but it's just to help people think through what's important during these times and so one what do you look for in a fulfillment partner and what's important and then number two, you switched back to us during COVID-19. And so just to talk through, you know, how you were able to navigate that as well. I think one of the most important things to look for in a fulfillment partner is like
2: clear pricing. If you can understand uh, what your pricing is going to be, you can definitely forecast that expense better. Also relinquishing control of your inventory to any 3PL is a hard thing to do. So feeling like you still have the software to capabilities to manipulate your inventory create bundles and feel like you can still be in touch with your inventory. Uh, we really like that about ShipBob and, and uh, the software side of ShipBob is, is great for being able to do all the complex things we want to do, whether it's um, our monthly subscription boxes, we can create those very easily or creating bundles.
0: So um, talk about bundles in general for a second, if you could elaborate on that. So one is with coronavirus and especially at the beginning, people really buying bulk. Because they were worried about you know inventory getting depleted, we saw quite a few spikes from bundling. So if you could talk about that, and then also just the importance of increasing your average order value as a seller as well with bundles, if you could just share your insights and what you've seen there. yeah, for sure. So we found that the most consumers don't like a lot of choices if you can if you could throw things
2: together as a package deal, it's much easier to get them to convert on it. So what we'll do is around the holidays, or we'll do specialized bundling, uh, where we'll have you know a tumbler, bracelet, stainless steel straws, all thrown thrown together in one bundle, and we'll use those as an as a um, a package deal. And what's great about Shopify is we can on the back end just create those as a bundle and link the the products that we want to be fulfilled, and we actually get to see them be picked and fulfilled. And like I said, we don't want to go into you know other companies too much, but we, we found that we, with some of the other other companies out there, you don't actually get to see what's picked off the shelf. If you need to bundle and do things on the fly like that, you kind of rely on them to do it for you
0: rather than being able to do it for itself, which is it's awesome. That's great. And then Ryan, I see you nodding your head running a lot of brands and also you run a digital marketing agency as well. You want to just talk about the importance of bundles and how you approach that?
3: Yeah. I used to have people back when I was in the fulfillment business and Rest assured, guys, I'm happily completely out, completely. But uh, it was it was eye-opening to me when uh, people would come to me and they would want to do direct-to-consumer and they would sell, say, a sub-$10 product. And it cost me just as much time and labor to go and send a guy to do a pick for a $10 product as it did a $100 product. But the percentage of revenue for the consumer was – dramatically different so not only if you can get away with bundling does it make sense from uh, presenting the bundle on the site, even if it's not literally a bundle in the warehouse if you can pull it off to have those show up as a pre-bundled case and that makes sense and it's not going to be a deterrent for somebody to order a two-pack or a four-pack even better because then it's just one pick versus two or three it can save you quite a bit on your pick and pack fees and the difference that that can make if you're selling a lot of, say, sub $20 products, the difference that bundling can make on your percentage of revenue going towards fulfillment is massive, let alone what it does to boost up your average order value and the conversion and, and return on.
0: That's awesome. And, and so, in a, to get into the weeds here from Paul, what third party app or apps in Shopify do you use to mandate, manage bundles and inventory count? And that could be, you know, Gerard Ryan. Either of you want to jump in? What our solution is first—the uh, great
2: part—integrate directly with with ShipBob software is we can create that as a, its own product, its own SKU within Shopify, and we don't need to rely on an app. We, you know, we've used apps in the past to do upsells or order bumps. But if you want to put, you know, like I talked about earlier, the the um, Sea Turtle bracelet, uh, a mug. Straws. You can put it as its own product, its own skew, and when it gets carried over into ShipBob, you just tell ShipBob what to fulfill when that product is sold, and you put up, you link all those master products back to that that bundle. But we have used a couple different apps to do order bumps and bundling, but we found that that's the best solution. It's the it's the most clean solution without having to rely on paying for extra apps. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, fewer technical issues with sharing data in between multiple apps. Um, it's always nice to save some money as well. So thank you for that. And then also from from Pat Miller, if people make a bundle purchase on Shopify, we'll ship off automatically, we'll put all those items in the same package. So I think Gerard answered that the answer is yes. Great. And so I want to stay on like the logistics theme and, and Ryan go over to you. So, you know, you ran your own 3PL for a while, as you said to us before, you know, you, know, you, you understand the uh, trials and tribulations of of fulfillment. So yeah. how do you think things have changed, maybe for the better or for worse, or that just is what it is since COVID hit? And what do you see happening in the foreseeable future?
3: I would say even prior to the warehouse, it's, it's changed the most on production and delays in inbound shipping. That's probably where it's changed the most. But as far as, you know, once it arrives, I think it just depends on how you go about it because it would be much more difficult if you were doing your own fulfillment right now and you took a huge hit, whereas, um, you know, a 3PL can kind of on balance, look at aggregate, uh, volume and and maintain it a little bit better. So it kind of highlights the economies of scale that a 3PL can, can offer and sort of pass through back to the customer instead of having to lay everybody off because they're not subject subject to just one client. Because so i I you know I've spoken with um, one of my buddies that still works for the company that was acquired, and he told me that you know volume is is down, but not by much, um, like barely. And the way that he looks at it is, there's there's certain accounts that might be down ninety percent, but depending on what the product is and what whether or not that product is um, can benefit from you know the situation that we're in. Some of these products are sold so well that they sold out and they can't get enough in stock. Others are keeping adequate stock, but they're selling out like crazy. So it's kind of interesting to see, to to talk to buddies that are managing a bunch of clients and, and hearing how some of them might be thriving right now, just depending on who they're servicing.
0: And I think it's been interesting to see Amazon, who is definitely the leader in the space, no question, not only did they stop receiving non-essentials for a while, but they also, I think I, I ordered something on Prime two days ago. And even with the Prime tag, it wasn't going to come for seven days. Um, and then I actually received something last week that I ordered in March, which is very non-Amazon-like. Do you think that with Amazon kind of leading the charge across the board and how consumers react and then how brands naturally have to follow, that fast shipping will be less of a, a must-have? Or do you think that people's expectations will just go back to that one-day, two-day, three-day expectation?
2: Amazon has definitely lowered consumer expectations now because they're, they're kind of like the gold standard for, for what people expect as far as uh, for shipping times. I think when Amazon started introducing uh, free two-day shipping, that put every e-commerce brand kind of on notice that that was going to be what was expected. But now in, in light of Amazon slower shipping time, I mean, I have things that I've ordered from Amazon that are, you know, 15 days down now. I think it's kind of lowered the expectation across the board. But I think, you know, once everything starts going back to normal, people are going to start expecting that again. We're we're kind of in a, a environment where people want things and they want it now. The, the sooner you can deliver, the better. But I, I think Amazon definitely sets the stage for, for uh, what consumers are expecting.
0: I agree let's see we have got a couple of questions here so we have two around forecasting they're not necessarily related todd we might need you to elaborate a little bit he said what's if or what's the forecast for e-commerce logistics space for third and fourth quarter i can assume i know what you're saying there todd but if you could just elaborate just so we can make sure that we're answering that and then related to the forecasting space so for Moheed, forecasting inventory can be really tricky when you import a product there can be so many unforeseen circumstances overseas that affect your product. How do you ensure you're out of stock um so I guess but for both Gerard and Ryan, if you want to start with where do you manufacture, and then how have you navigated that and then with forecasting
3: so uh, thankfully, koala tree was um, had adequate stock on most things other than our trailhead pants or. A huge, It's our number one selling product line. There were some colors and sizes that we couldn't get it in. Uh, there were delays in in getting that in. In fact, there's some still on its way that should have been here long before now. And so you know you can't you can't really predict it, but I'm also hearing stories that are far worse than what we've dealt with there or with what pajamas has dealt with. Maybe an extra month start to finish from production till it's in the warehouse it's not that big of a deal but i'm hearing other stories where production is way behind shipping is getting held up and uh, you know you you tack on an extra three or four months it can really affect your business right just depending on how much you have in stock so i think it also depends on where your goods are coming from and if the factory is is ready and in a lot of cases they've they've had to lay off a lot of people to scale down and so they may not have capacity right now so for it, it's a complex thing and everything's been upended but obviously i would i would i would bake in extra lead time on production and and shipping just to play it safer
0: is there any i don't know go-to resource or way that you approach your forecasting i try to keep my skew count really simple
3: in in each company that i'm involved with which which helps because uh i'm not smart enough to Manage a thousand SKUs and and forecast that properly, right? It gets you kind of reach this exponential point to where the difference between you know twenty SKUs and forty, honestly, that can that can be enough. But to go from, I mean, I I don't know how people do it. To be honest with you, it's just not a game that I want to play. I'm actually, I just closed on a business that they they cranked out eight hundred SKUs in two and a half years. And there's zero chance that I will try to do that. I'm going to pare it way down from there. So then, that, the answer is uh, don't go crazy with your SKU count. So,
0: so talk about that a little bit, because I know from with with ShipBob, our, a lot of our customers have, you know, a couple hundred SKUs or fewer. And from the kind of, I don't know, being on our side, when I look at these, these large SKU or large catalog businesses, yeah, it gives me anxiety just thinking about it. But I know a lot of people think that adding additional SKUs will allow them to continue to drive new business or cross sell. So how do you go about keeping your catalog small? And and Gerard, I know your catalog is relatively small as well. So how do you guys approach keeping your catalog small while still being able to increase either lifetime value or continue to drive new sales? I mean,
3: you obviously have to give customers a a selection, but I, I actually think it's pretty easy to overestimate. That I have to offer, you know, for me to generate more sales, I have to offer every color out there. With most products, I don't buy it. But you have to, you have to look at it not in isolation, but you have to look at it like the shorter the lead time, the more SKUs you should have. The lower the MOQ, the easier it is to crank out more SKUs. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I could list off, I mean, I would say I would say that the reason why. Part of the reason why Tree was insolvent when when we picked it up four and a half years ago was because they turned out way too many SKUs, way too fast in a way that made little sense relative to their size. So you kind of have to just go on pace with your cash flow and your lead time and your MOQ and where you are and be sensible about what does the customer really need because, you know, to his point, Sometimes you give them too much choice, and it could be overwhelming. Sometimes it's better to pare it down and and just focus on a simplified message, and um, let other things be ancillary add-ons. But um, you can't really answer that question without knowing what is the what's my margin, what's my lead time, what's my minimum order quantity. Because if you're if you have to beef up on, and if you have to you have to order on a six-month lead time, and you have to order. What you project will take you a year
0: to sell through it. That's really tough for cash flow. It, it could kill you. Especially. I think about like the paradox of choice, which is a, a common theory. But, yeah. Or you go to the grocery store and there's like 900 <clears throat> real brands and you leave with zero. We were looking at a customer of ours. They do about 50,000 orders a month. They have about 200 SKUs and three SKUs account for 56% of their sales. Three SKUs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh,
2: I think most businesses, uh, it, it, somewhere between one and four SKUs, most of their sales. So growing beyond that is is mostly just to try to get return customers and give them options. But as far as even like variety, the psychology behind it is most consumers, like the ideal number is to have three options and most consumers will pick the middle option. If you give them much more than that, they'll spend way too much time thinking about
0: it And then they'll get distracted by something else. So I love that. Just just keeping it simple and and trying that first. And then, so Gerard, around those options, and and this is going to come back to bundles as well, because we're saying, hey, look into bundles that have fewer options. And so this is a question from Kiku. When it comes to bundling products, do you push those first and foremost? Or do you have those as a follow-on? How do you approach where bundles sit within the customer journey?
2: For us, I think it's great to show the bundle side by side, because then you can highlight the value in the bundle. If they see what it costs to buy that product by itself, and then they see it contrasted in that bundle, to them, they see the value. You know, I always offer discount on bundles. That's how we get the consumer to go for that rather than buy it, you know, by itself or or buy an individual item. So I think it's important to kind of make sure they see the value of each product in that bundle. But around the holiday seasons or when we do a bundle push, we'll push those through email and we'll highlight them in our in our website, but we'll make sure we're not hiding the individual product because we want them the customer to feel like they have the choice to buy the individual product, but see the value of the bundle.
0: Nice. That's, that's a great idea. And something that I know that I like to lean heavily on is just going around to the other industry leaders and stealing from them. And so a lot of my background is not just e-commerce, but B2B SaaS. And so also looking at like tangential industries. And so you look at a lot of like the, the B2B software companies they, you look at their, just go to their pricing pages. And this is not apples to apples for your e comps shop. You can see how do they price things and how do they give you one, two, three, four different options, what's included. And at the end of the day, that's a bundle. And you can buy the cheapest option, which is basically one item, or you can buy the middle option, which is another type of bundle. And you're getting that much more value uh, for less. And then another one to look at too, who's been making a lot of news in a good way lately, is Peloton. And so you, whether you're going to buy a Peloton or not, go through their buying journey and see how are they trying to upsell you and how can you buy the bike, how can you buy the bike plus a bunch of other accessories and how can you buy the bike plus a million other accessories and a bunch of other stuff because they're, they they are have such a large team and they're spending so much money in this highly competitive space. You can at least assume that they're doing some things right. And And I don't know what they share from publicly on which bundles are purchased most. But you can kind of just steal some ideas and even how they like position or design. I know that's something that Nick does a great job. Nick on here does with, with, with just looking at the way that other people create different landing pages or product pages because there's so much good stuff you can kind of take from others. All right. We got some more questions coming in from, let's see. There's a question from Patricia. I can answer this really quickly. The ship have a minimum number of orders per month to do fulfillment for a new customer. Yes and no. So for for it to go through our sales team, it's four hundred a month. I gave you my email address. You can email me regardless. But everybody can go through what we call our growth or self service program, um, where there's really no minimum, so it doesn't really matter there. So sign on up. Come on through. Email me with questions, Catherine. Do you, any of you have experience with ShipBob and Big Commerce? Interesting question. I actually was at Big Commerce before joining ShipBob. Uh, so Catherine, if you want to just elaborate a little bit on your question, I'm happy to answer. And then here for, uh, Jordan Ryan, if either of you want to jump in here, this is a question from Demetrius. We are a new beverage business, eight ounce cans, five SKUs. What recommend recommendations do you have for brands with smaller quantity of SKUs and unpredictable monthly volume? Should we run it on our own since it is so small? Uh, and I'm assuming the follow up is, should we outsource it from a fulfillment perspective? So Gerard, I know you just, you know, launched Ocean Ocean Code not too long ago. So maybe you want to talk about that, the value of doing it yourself versus handing it off to somebody else.
2: Yeah, and Casey, I think you and I have had this conversation. So, like you mentioned earlier, uh, I also run uh, method marketing and we're working with a couple of brands. And and when we talk about 3PL, the question always comes up, you know, what is it gonna cost us? That's a valid question, but when we moved to uh, shipbob, it actually saved us money. Because if you look at the volume that you guys ship in you're actually able to negotiate those shipping rates and get a lower shipping rate than we'd be able to do ourselves. So I you know, I've gone to the drawing board and tried to map out exactly what it would cost, you know, for me to hire people to fulfill our own orders and you know, have have a small warehouse and do the shipping ourselves and it actually winds up being so much more expensive. Plus it's also time that you're taking away from doing what you're good at. So, you know, from that perspective, I would recommend Anybody use the 3PL because especially when you're a young brand, your time is the most valuable thing. You're not able to hire the people to do things for you. You need to put your effort into things to grow your brand and not worry about scheduling people to pick stuff off the shelf. Worrying about, you know, people calling in sick when they're, when they're supposed to be fulfilling your orders for you. I'm away from doing marketing and doing the important stuff that you can do best to try to fulfill orders. So for us, it was a cost savings you know it has been a cost savings we we we've explored that option and we keep coming back to we, there's no way we can do it cheaper
0: love that jar thank you for getting in there and then Ryan what about you multiple brands and you've run a 3PL and I've
3: done in a past life I've done my own warehousing where we did our own pick and pack and and I would say it's interesting because some people talk about it and you've probably heard this where they're like oh I'm too small for a 3PL and then other people think I'll use a 3PL until I'm a certain size. So it's kind of like the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. I would argue whether you are just starting or you're massive, you should take advantage of the economies of scale that somebody can leverage for you so that you don't have to do it all yourself because we suck as entrepreneurs at, at predicting and understanding our real opportunity costs, right? myself included like there's a lot of things that i find myself doing and then i'm like why am i doing this task that one i don't i don't particularly like and two what i could pay somebody else to do it is significantly less than what than the the, the value of my time that i would assign to myself right so so you have to think in those terms you know opportunity costs and i don't think very many people fully understand because it's it's actually pretty difficult to calculate the opportunity cost of doing your own fulfillment. But if you really think it through from everything to managing the extra employees out there, you know, there's so much more that goes into it than you would ever think. Like I remember in a past business when we did our own fulfillment, on a regular basis I would have somebody come into my office and say, "Hey, we're all out there packing orders. Can you come out and help?" And it sucked because I didn't want to seem like uh like I was above it. But it was always a waste of time. And so if you can just kick that out to somebody else that whether you're you're seeing peaks or valleys to them, it's more or less the same because all their clients are in peaks and valleys, but in aggregate, it balances out more or less. I mean, just take advantage of that. And what most people do is they may have had one bad experience and they assume that all 3PLs suck. And maybe they all do to some degree if you're going to get nitpicky about an occasional mispick. But if somebody's 99.9% accurate, and they take that burden away from you, and they're good people to work with, and they can pass on saving rates, and you can look at your true opportunity costs and understand that they're there, don't even do it. Why do it?
0: Yeah, thanks for jumping in there on on your view. And I think something that we've seen come up quite a bit lately, especially with the volatility from coronavirus, where uh, I think there was a... a you know, let's say a two-week window where everybody's business kind of went down, and then since then we've seen some of our customers in aggregate were well beyond Black Friday Cyber Monday numbers. And so some people are way down, some people are just you know astronomically higher. And so you can't really predict what's going to happen always. And so it's the difference between fixed costs and variable costs. And so when you have your own warehouse and you have your own employees fulfilling this, that's a fixed cost that you're always going to have. Whereas the variable costs, whether it be shipbob or somebody else, you're only paying on like the storage that you're using, and you're only paying on the fulfillment labor when you are utilizing that. And so if your sales are way down on the fulfillment side, you're paying zero. And if your sales are way up, you're paying for the fulfillment cost. But that's that's because you're also generating sales. And so it can ebb and flow with the success of your business as well. Um so here's a question from John. What are your thoughts on offering single products and subscriptions side by side like Dr. Squatch? I think Gerard answered that earlier, John, if you disagree. I know subscriptions and bundles aren't the same. And so Gerard or Ryan, if you want to jump in there, I'm a huge proponent of subscriptions in general. But John, if you want maybe to maybe just elaborate there, who didn't answer that with the bundle item? But John also asked, here we have a couple marketing questions. So, okay, I like actually how this is phrased. So I might, I might modify how this is phrased. What are the best tools for targeting Facebook ads and Instagram? Would you recommend Facebook and Instagram or is there a better platform for paid ads? Um, it's a newer company with a newer product. So before I rephrase the question, Gerard or Ryan, want to jump in on the Instagram and Facebook side of the world.
3: I'm a, I'm a big fan of Facebook and Instagram ads, even ahead of Google. I mean, Google ads, you can get a better return, but they, They typically won't scale in the same way that Facebook ads might. And, uh, you know, especially if you have some means to pull in relevant data to go beyond just traditional lookalike audiences, it can make a massive difference. And Facebook ads continue to go up and up until recently, actually. They dropped a bit. But um, over the last five years, if you were to chart that, it would look like Amazon stock or Shopify stock. It would just be going up. But that said, it still can be very cost effective if you have the right people managing it. And Google's, you can probably get a better return on ad spend and with most campaigns with, with Google ads, but it probably won't scale
2: anywhere near what you could with Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, I completely agree with that. We use Facebook and Instagram for prospecting, but I think you have to have all the pieces of the puzzle lined up. You have to have those Facebook, or the Google ads for retargeting. You have to have a, a proper email system to make sure you're fully capturing the value of your audience. If you're just sending Facebook ads to a, a page that is selling a product but doesn't have a way to capture the email address, doesn't have a way to to retarget that customer, then you're kind of throwing a lot of money out the window. As Facebook ads get more and more expensive, you have to be really efficient. You have to watch how you spend that money and not having you know a, a fully efficient website that's capturing the customer value. Not just from a purchase the first time, but also, you know, getting their email, getting SMS, you know, however you want to capture that value, it's becoming more and more important. It's also more and more important to have a, a increasing average order value because you're spending more and more on CPMs. So if you can't find a, a good way to increase that average order value, you're going to quickly uh, be kind of pricing yourself out of Facebook ads.
0: Awesome. And then, and then John had a follow up. Do you use Facebook interface? Is there a tool to help with targeting or hire an expert? I think it, it depends. You know, there are, if it's just retargeting and other solutions like shoelace, if it's all top of funnel, you know, uh, and again, if Gerard or Ryan, if you want to jump in here, there are agencies and experts that are really good, but if you're not spending a whole lot, it might not be the best route. I know Common Growth Collective launched their admission program, which is trying to help provide as much education to people that are just getting started. Unfortunately, the answer is often it depends. Uh, Gerard, Ryan, anything you want to add maybe on like, the Facebook interface or how to approach it if
2: you're newer? Just getting started, you're better off trying to run it yourself and, and learn because even if you hire an agency, you're going to need to have some knowledge to know what's going on. You're going to have to be able to speak the lingo and understand. Plus a lot of agencies, the, the good agencies won't look at you unless you're, you're putting up a $5,000 a month detainer or more, which right right there prices a lot of people out of that. So I highly recommend learning that as a skill and you could pass it off later, but then you'll at least have some understanding of of what's going on and you'll be able to to monitor that. Ryan, I don't know if you... Uh...
3: I agree completely. I mean, I have an agency called Iconify that every day we we tell people we, we can't take you on. And in some, in some cases, we could charge five grand and let them spend a thousand, but... I just tell people that this is not smart. This is not a good way to go about it. Even if you have the money to burn, I won't run your campaign if you're paying me more than you're spending and you don't want to outspend your ability to, to have this scale. So I do think it's better to, to start out with probably doing it in-house and get some traction, get some data, know what you're dealing with. But I do think that agencies, uh, obviously, you know, I'm biased here, but agencies, um, a good agency to worth it. And especially if it's performance based, like very few of our clients ever hit their retainer because uh, we tie it to performance. And so our ambitions and theirs are aligned. But going back to the um, question about return on ad spend. I mean, you can look at ROAS, but you kind of have to look at it in relation to other things. Um, what, is, what is your return on ad spend relative to how much you want to scale? and that's determined based on your margins and a few other factors. But you also have to look at what is my customer lifetime value? Do I wanna cast a wider net and can I live with a little bit of a hit in ROAS to get a larger audience? And then um, to his point, that it makes a big difference. If you're driving traffic to this site, what are you doing to capture more emails and automatically you know, automate a, a segmentation process to re-engage with those people? and a lot of people assume that uh, capturing emails with whatever's baked into their ESP or ECRM is, is enough, but there's a bunch of really cost-effective tools. I'm talking like either a percentage of sale or a hundred or 200 bucks a month that you can string together to make a massive difference in capturing more emails, segmenting those emails, improving your deliverability, improving your abandoned cart, and boosting your conversion and your average order value all by having these tools feed off of each other. And they're very, very cheap. I mean, they're very cost-effective.
0: And and something that you mentioned too, Brian, that I don't think can be understated is aligning your incentives. And so with like ShipBob, for example, the vast majority of what you pay us is based off of your shipment volume. And so if you're succeeding, we're succeeding. And so just like Ryan said with his agency, and I'm not sure how Gerard approaches it as well, if you can make sure that you're aligning your incentives so that you're both, it's not just maybe necessarily getting paid to like spend more money, but if like you're both succeeding together, it's, it's extremely important. So here's, here's a question from Waheed, which is similar to stay in like the marketing world is, what percentage, and I know the answer is gonna be, that depends, but maybe we can get into like the weeds on how we can think about this. What percentage of the total order value should we put to marketing, trying to understand what the reasonable cost per sale value is? That's gonna depend on your margins on the product. There's certain products that you can spend a lot more on marketing
2: than others. But like Ryan said, you have to look at that lifetime customer value. With Oceanico, we're willing to to take a slight loss or break even on acquiring a customer because we know that we're gonna get a, a second purchase and that's where you make your money. But you also you have to know your margins you have to know your math because i've worked with a couple of people that they want to shut off ads when they're not making money off that first purchase when you know the second purchase comes 30 days later and it's 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 a much higher uh, profitability because you're not spending money on ads for that second purchase so just crunch your numbers figure out what your margins are figure out what your lifetime customer value is what's your percentage of return purchases and run ads based on that and everything you do with ads it has to have a bigger picture you can't be looking at a one-day window for running your ads. You have to. You have to be looking at a bigger picture and, and down the line.
0: I love that, Gerard. That's where I was talking to a customer of ours. Um, they run a a luxury men's I don't, I don't know uh, face moisturizer brand. As you can tell, I, I might not be their go-to. Um, it's called Caldera and Lab, and the people who run that they just they understand their customer base and they understand marketing and performance marketing extremely well. And they know their margins and their total cogs and everything. And so they're willing to take, like Gerard Gerard said, that slight loss on the first purchase because they know that over half of their customers then get into their subscription funnel. And so they know that they're going to make that up. Everybody who gets on the subscription side 100 out of 100 times when that second purchase comes in and everything else after that is icing on the cake. And then so it's if you don't have a subscription, is there a subscription opportunity? And if you don't have a subscription, maybe is there some future sell or upsell, or maybe seasonal type promotion, you can follow up with after that. Here's a question from Kirsten, I can answer very quick, quickly. What e-commerce apps does ShipBob work with, like Shopify, Equid, Shopify, BigCommerce, Wix, Squarespace, all the major players. Again, feel free to email me, carmstrong at shipbob.com, happy to answer. We don't have an integration with Equid, but we do with ShipStation, which is often the go-between. I hear Equid sometimes, I don't know if I've ever seen or bought the Equid site, but so mm-hmm. it goes. And then, Let's see. Another question. Elena, shipping 300 to 500 orders a month. My items are small. as ship-off for me. Um, sounds like it. Nick gave you my email address again. Happy to answer. And then Ryan, I'll try to get through the ship-off questions really fast. Ryan, the uh, ship-off charge per square foot in the warehouse as they grow. Do you need more space? Does our door cost go up significantly? So we charge based off the bin, the shelf, and the pallet. And then Gerard, you've grown with us. So if you want to answer, you know, do your cost go up significantly?
2: No, and that that comes back to our conversation about managing inventory. You don't want to have too much inventory sitting around. you want to know how long your inventory is going to last you, and if you could properly forecast, you're going to reduce that storage cost. But as a percentage of our our whole expenses, storage is is pretty minimum. And to answer that other question, as far as the uh, smaller items doing three to five hundred a month, like uh, the majority of our orders are single bracelet or two bracelets. Uh, I think it's like one or two ounces, and uh yeah. We, we, we can't ship it ourselves. Like I, I couldn't go to the post office right now and ship it for cheaper than ShipBob does for me.
0: It's awesome. And then here's some questions. Oh, actually, here's some really good follow up So thanks for everybody in the comments, jumping in with some ideas. So especially for those that are getting started with Facebook and Instagram, um, from Paul, Shopifycompass.com. He, he dropped the link in here. I highly recommend checking that out. Um, I know Paul's been able to scale his business really quickly. So another operator, I'd highly recommend listening to. Let's see. Pat learned a ton from different YouTube. As I know that Nicks use Udemy and Skillshare. So fortunately, there's a lot of good information. There's also a lot of noise, and you also don't need to learn literally everything. So try to pick up, I'd say, one or two tactics, and then apply those actually in the wild, because that's where you're going to learn the best. Because every business is slightly
1: different. Yeah, and and I would just say too, real quick on that, like definitely don't just take those courses and then try out like one of these ad channels and then. Thinking that you can't like it's just not profitable for you or it's just not working. Like I know that happens a lot with like Facebook and Instagram. I would recommend you know if it doesn't, if you don't think it's working, like definitely go to somebody or a consultant or reach out to your network or reach out to any of us and, and ask because um, I, I think we've always run into that in the past. And you know, there's there's people out there that are very they're experts in this and they definitely can not help. So just want to throw that out there too because I know it happens a lot. One of the
2: single biggest things you can e-commerce owner is, is develop a network around you of people that are doing the same thing as you so you can bounce ideas off them. That's been super valuable for me being able to reach out to my buddies that own e-commerce companies. Hey, I'm having this problem, you know, have you had it before? Who'd you go to? Networking within the e-commerce realm is a huge value. You'll save so much money. Even just asking questions like, Hey, we're looking at using this app or we're looking at using uh, this marketing agency. Have you had experience with them? You know, we, we've we saved thousands upon thousands of dollars just bouncing that idea off people and them saying, yes, yeah, steer clear from them or, you know, use these guys instead.
0: I love that, Gerard. And I think it was, I think, Chad over at Think Crucial, who was on the operator series a couple of weeks ago, who mentioned that he was even having some supply chain issues. But he managed it. He stayed close and he has been in the space for 10 to 12 years. People often look at their competitors, but then if you look at the total addressable market, it's massive. And so they might be your competitors, but like their success is not necessarily necessarily going to like thwart your success. And so when he was having some of these supply chain issues and he runs a very large catalog, large business, he was able to reach out to some of them and get connected to some of their manufacturers. So he was able to, to backfill his inventory because he was getting slammed in demand, which is a good thing. And again, start getting his products back in his I don't know digital shells very quickly, and so just finding those in the space is I, I can all echo the same thing has been huge for me. I know that Nick would echo the same sentiment. So here's a question around B two B, and so uh, Ryan and Gerard, I'm not sure your your backgrounds here, but Pat asks if trying to market or sell to other businesses for wholesale orders. Is Facebook and Instagram the best avenue there, or how have you approached that? I'd say no.
3: I don't have <laughs> a lot to add, but I would say, I mean, if we're not a consumer product, not a SaaS where your customer lifetime value is beyond you know hundreds of dollars, but tens of thousands, that's a different story. But I would say, I would say
2: no. Well, I agree so- with Ryan. If, if it's directly, then no. If you're running ads on Facebook saying, "Hey, business, you know, buy from us," no. We landed a deal with British Airways where all our bracelets are sold on their planes. Mm. And uh, the way we did it is because someone that worked for them bought our bracelet and then, you know, said, Hey, we should carry these on our plane. I think the best way to land uh, B2B is to just grow your B2C and, and build a reputation. But I don't think running direct ads on Facebook for that purpose where the messaging is, is that way is going to really work that well.
3: I agree. And if your D2C is working and it's scaling and it's profitable, I would say hone in on that as long as you possibly can stomach it because B2B is always going to be there. And it could be the great, it could seem like the greatest thing you've ever done and end up being the worst thing you've ever done. I mean, I have a background in B2B prior to e-commerce and, and trust me, you don't want to ship truckloads of goods to get 60 grand worth of chargebacks because the labels were crooked you know (laughs) you don't want to you don't want to know six months after the fact whether or not you made as much as you thought broke even or lost six figures and 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 especially in today's landscape you don't know if these guys are going to fold and um i'm not a huge fan of b2b unless it's on really good terms with a trustworthy company that isn't on the brink and especially if if what's working online, I'd rather have a a profitable ten million dollar
2: business online than a rocky hundred million dollar business doing B2B. And especially if you look at the climate right now, look at Frito Lay. Like they're 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 going uh, direct to consumer right now. Like so so many companies, big companies, are pivoting and trying to sell direct to consumer. That you know that that's your sign. That should be your focus. Go direct to consumer.
0: Great call out on Frito. I know Pepsi launched a few brands. D2C, which they'd never done before, ever. And so it's been pretty fascinating just to see the the innovation coming from, from larger companies as well. Here's a question from John. In choosing fulfillment, why ShipBob or ShipMonk? So I won't comment on ShipMonk, but with ShipBob, I mean, you can ask Gerard. You can go through our case studies. We have, I think now, 10 or 11 fulfillment centers, eight in the US, one in Canada, another one in Europe um Continuously innovating and, and pushing you know things forward, and so I'd say less of us versus anybody else. You can see the types of brands that we work with and and where we're trying to push the industry. And I know what the roadmap looks like for the next couple of years, and it, it has me extremely excited. Uh, so, question from Roheed, and we'd love to hear your answers here, Jordan Ryan. I had so many questions lined up for you guys, and I haven't been able to get to any of mine, which I love because it's it's everybody from the audience. So, thank you, everybody. And I do, I'll have one final question at the end as well. But here from Wahid, I'm actually really interested to hear your answers, Jordan Ryan, which is, so Jordan, you mentioned benefits of having like-minded e-commerce founders in your circle. And I'll show you say, his last thing next. Most online communities are based around drop shipping, which dilutes the value. And I completely agree. There's so much noise around drop shipping. And I think that coronavirus is probably accelerating the, at least maybe the evolution of drop shipping, if not the depth. Where can you meet other e-commerce founders, especially during COVID nineteen? So for for me, it's been it's been LinkedIn, it's
2: been Shopify Plus communities, it's just been you know getting your name out there, doing even like videos like this. I think it's it's just putting yourself out there. What's interesting with e-commerce owners is we we love talking about this, we're passionate about it. Uh, I try to talk to my wife about it, and she, she's tired of me hearing about it. So. <laughs> You know, having having friends in the space, it's good to, it's good to vent. You know, I, I heard one of my buddies say recently, like, we're all manic depressants because when we're selling like crazy, we're, we're on cloud nine. And when, when things are down, we're down in the dumps. So, uh, I think just putting yourself out there and, and, you know, being active on LinkedIn, you know, finding Facebook groups that, you know, sh- I'm in the Shopify plus community where I've, uh, when we were considering a certain vendor, we put it in there. Hey, anybody have an experience in this? And they, they told us to steer clear and we save thousands and thousands of dollars from somebody else's mistake. So that, that's my input on that. Love it. Ryan? I don't think I'm manic. I must
3: be depressive because even when things are going well, I tend to worry even more ironically because <laughs> it's hard to grow and everything changes all the time. And um, I don't like to lose and I don't like to have a business scale back at all. And so I'm always trying to learn, I'm always be very open to having conversations with people that I can't predict in any way how it's gonna benefit me. But I just, as a general way of being, I'm, I'm a curious guy and I'm always interested in, in having discussions with people that are in the consumer product and e-commerce space. And, you know, I live in Utah where there's more e-commerce per cap, businesses per capita than anywhere more Amazon sellers than anywhere, more Kickstarters than anywhere per capita. So it's uh they call this small lake city. There's a very here, there's just a very uh tight knit network of e com bros and uh, <laughs> and a few gals too. But I'm yeah. so uh, curious, why do you think why is Utah so prevalent in ecom? Oh man. It's just in our blood, man. It's <laughs> some in the water. No, it's it's part of our culture. We've always even prior to e-commerce say 10 years ago, when you wouldn't have seen this, uh, even prior to that, it's always been ranked as one of the most entrepreneurial places. And so it's just an extension of that, you know, just a rugged, you know, Western state independence and self-reliance and hard work ethic. Uh, it's just part of the culture. And I just think it's an
0: extension of that. It's awesome. Limited sample size but all my friends who moved to Utah there. Just start their own business. So it just must come with, like I don't know, the driver's license. Uh, I'll got a couple more. I know um, 2pml.com is a place that I follow a lot. They, they're building out a community there. Lean Lux, another newsletter, building out a community. Ad Leaks has some interesting stuff. There's just a lot of communities out there. And also, if the first one, two, three, four that you join are not for you, that's fine also. So like Gerard said, just put yourself out there, try it out. And if it's not right, just kill it and move on. From John, we're in Canada, we're in Ottawa. Cool. We have a few more questions. We have like no more time left. So I'll ask one more question Gerard and Ryan. You know, whether it be during coronavirus or anything else, as people are looking to, you know, exit and run through 2020 successfully, what is your number one piece of advice? So Gerard, let's start with you and then Ryan will get to you next. It's just uh, continue to add value to the customer. The the
2: space is becoming more and more competitive, so you have to do the right thing. You have to do right by the customer. You have to continue to add value. You know, like Ryan said, if you're not continuing to learn and you're you're not contri- continuing to try to add value and be the best in your field, you're gonna get you're gonna get outgunned soon. Uh, so continue learning and continue trying to add value to the customer. Love it. I'd say
3: stay lean. Figure out why people care and focus on that, and outsource everything else. Then you can kind of outweather everything if you're focused on that and you're not over leveraged. So I th- I think you're gonna see a huge a huge shift in how people value businesses, how people value e commerce. And we're gonna get back to uh, you know, caring more about profit than we have in the past, which is, you know, in the end what matters, top line at all costs, hopefully is a thing of the past. And so I'd just say stay lean and don't get too crazy about, oh, I need to 10x every year because i read a grant cardone book it's like man (laughs) stay stay lean and stay healthy and and don't get too crazy and you can just slowly
0: chip away at it but focus on profitability first (laughs) i love that so i guess there's one more question from john how do you get on stage you can actually ask a question we can pull you up here and you can ask the the speakers and so next week john please come back we're here every week Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We'd love to have you on. Ask some questions. To recap what uh, Gerard and and Ryan said, continue to add value to the customers. It sounds like you, Gerard, have been sitting in some calls with our, our CEOs. There's always like, don't pay attention to the competitors. Don't pay attention to X, Y, and Z. If we are consistently adding more and more value every single day to our customers, then nothing else matters. Love it. And then from, from Ryan, don't over leverage and focus on the right metrics. Completely agree. Stop reading that check article or whatever it may be. And, you know, you don't need to chase the shiny pennies. If we've seen anything from this year, even before coronavirus hit or end of last year, companies like, uh, like WeWork or Uber or outdoor voices, those that were over leveraged and got all the pub in the world. And then you kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit and it's just a cash flow and P&L nightmare, you know, don't believe necessarily all the press. So on a brighter note, thank you for joining us. Greatly value all of your time. This was... uh, I love it. Love the questions. Gerard, Ryan, appreciate you taking the time to drop some knowledge here. I know I learned a bunch. I feel like I'm the biggest winner in these because I get to just learn from you all. We're here next Wednesday. Nick's going to follow up with the winners and the questions about. Look,
1: we got two winners here, Wahid and John. I'll just have to go back and double double check on the questions, but this is awesome. Appreciate appreciate it, guys. You know, this is it's always better when we can have some questions going. You know, good good discussion. I mean, it's already an hour in, so we're fishing off. So definitely do appreciate that, and I'll, I'll be following up here after.
0: Perfect. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye.